As parents, we should know all that there is to know about our children. And we have amazing people like Kathy Timko that are willing and able to help us with that task. With almost two decades of experience, she has helped learners of all shapes, sizes, successes, and struggles. Needless to say, Kathy and many that have occupied the same position can tell the difference between a child that is lacking and one that has everything that they need. I think it's about time we work together for the sake of our kids. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. All right, Blenders, I have one of our good friends, just an amazing individual. We honestly, we've almost recorded an entire interview prior to getting this going because we just have so much fun. (laughs) Um, But here we have our special guest, Kathy Temko. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you for taking the time. Of course. If you can uh, get into your profession, what you do, what you've been doing for quite some time, and yeah, how you've uh, functioned professionally for the last while. Well, hi. It's an honor to be here. Seriously, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to just support in any way. Um, right now, I am a regional student support coordinator. There's a lot that goes into that, but mainly my background is just counseling, working with kids. Um, Since I was 18 years old, I've been working with kids um, in a social, emotional, academic capacity, crisis, foster, homeless, um, general ed, special ed, all of it in between. And so I have a little bit of experience with them um, and just supporting them. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not, you know, you're a lady. I'm not going to do the whole age, but we're closer (laughs) to two decades than we are to to a single decade. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to break down that bath all the way, but that is quite some time. And, uh, (laughs) most of your life, almost that's what you've been, been doing. Yeah, that's incredible. And what do you think led you to this profession? Yeah, I definitely didn't think I was going to be doing this. Started school um, to go in law enforcement and um, wanted to get my bachelor's in psychology to be in the FBI. Um, but I was in a um, psychopathology class and was learning about psychopaths, essentially. And I was like, yeah, I can't do this for the rest of my life. It's very scary and sad. Um, and at the time, just um, while I was going through college, I was working with uh, schools and, and with kids after school. And um, I really liked that a lot. Um, and so I thought, mm, let me see what I can do in more of a support realm. And so I went to school, um, began getting my um, degree as an MFT, a married and family therapist, realized that working with couples is just really difficult. <laughs> it can be. Um, and then I decided to hone in on kids. I, I enjoy supporting them. Um, and I felt like they were a lot more moldable than adults. And so um, helping them that way 
And then here I am. That is incredible. And the need is you can hardly express the need for someone to function in the capacity that you have for, for such time. And yes, we adults, we're, we are hard headed, hard hearted. And (laughs) it is, it's incredible that there are people that are gifted in such a way to, to serve the next generation of, of adults to come. It really is. And so we're going to be talking during this episode. The, the question of the episode is, is your child lacking? And something that you've been able to do from your position professionally, personally, is to be able to weigh and determine and to see for yourself the, the, both the lack as well as the overflow in the life of children. And this is not just something you've done professionally. I believe it's a, a gift set that you have as far as your ability to peer into the experience of, of young people. And a lot of times as parents, us being parents as well, we are so close to the situation that we can't weigh things as they are, or we can't perceive certain aspects of the experience of our children. So there are amazing people such as yourself that get to experience a whole different dynamic in the life of students, of kids and whatnot. And then you're also able to kind of come alongside parents and see things that maybe adults are or and parents are seeing themselves or some of the things that they're missing. So we are talking on this subject of, is your child lacking? So on that note, first question I'll ask is, uh, is the well-being of a child a good indicator of what's happening or not happening in the home. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to speak to when I was working on campuses um, because right now I'm just supporting the therapists themselves. But when I was working on campuses and seeing learners come into schools, uh, you can tell right away, you know, when they're sitting in their chairs, just their affect, their every piece of them, um, how they're doing, you know, um, whether they've eaten that day, whether they got dressed well that day, whether they had a good morning or not. Like there's just so much that kids bring into them, into the, um, you know, classroom or into the school setting without saying anything. Um, like we call them that the invisible backpack when a kid comes in and of course they're present with you, but you don't know what is in their invisible backpack. And it is so telling um, um, how their well-being is according to just their affect. And if you can get into that a little bit more, what are some of those behaviors, the attitudes, mannerisms that suggest that something uh, let's specifically focus on when something is off in the environment? What are some of those indications? Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking about the kids. So I worked before care and after care and those kids that are there from six to six, you know, 6am first ones dropped off the last ones to leave. I just, my heart breaks for those kids. Um, but you know, they often come to school without any food or without proper clothes or without being groomed. And so my office became that office where kids came in and you know that you're going to get food because I, I correlated that a lot of disciplinary issues were happening during a certain period of the day. And it was due to kids just being hungry. 
<laughs> and they were just punching other kids because they were hungry. Um, and because they didn't have breakfast that day and lunch wasn't till one o'clock. And that was a long time um, for them to not have any food. I'd be punching kids too. So just making sure, you know, basic needs are met. Um, uh, kids were embarrassed about having dirty clothes. So we got a washer and dryer on campus and we washed kids' clothes and did their hair and did their nails and eyebrows and eyelashes and all of it. And so, um, sometimes just that hygiene, that, that initial appearance, um, just really is a teller of how kids are doing. And then of course, how they are doing in the classroom, whether they're working together, collaborating with one another, respecting one another, um, and whether they're getting their work done or not. Those are all indicators of their well-being. Kids cheating. I never. I actually don't care if kids cheat. <laughs> um, I sometimes have found, and a lot of times have found, that kids are cheating because they don't have a place at home to do their schoolwork. They don't have a place to a safe place or a safe person to ask how to get their homework done, and so um, they have to resort to cheating or other methods of getting their work done. And so those are a lot of indicators. But I also learned kind of later, more recently, that those like really high achieving kids too can be struggling. And that really messed. I didn't, I didn't like really understand that until I was going through some workshops that a lot of those kids that might just be perfectionists or control freaks or whatever, um, those kids are really struggling. And the only control that they have is their schoolwork. And so that might be in the classroom yeah. as well. And I feel led to ask about the socioeconomic state of whatever school you've operated in. Have you done the entire spectrum as far as working with some of the lower class versus some upper class kind of environments? Yeah, for sure. Definitely the low, you know, the lowest um, social economic status. <clears throat> like those are called Title I schools. The majority of my experience are with Title I schools in foster care. But then um, there's one school I worked at and um, it was really unique because it was a charter school that pulled from all different zip codes. That means you had like the richest kids there, famous kids there with the lowest um, SES, um, social economic status, um, with the homeless kids. And, and they were all in inter- you know, mingled together. We, of course, couldn't disclose the kids' backgrounds, but it was really cool to see, you know, the, truly like a famous kid working and hanging out with, um, you know, homeless kid in, in the yeah. same group. And, you know, they don't know that about each other, and but just seeing how they interacted with one another um, aside from that. So it was cool. Um, but it made me really uh, have to develop my practice because the parents of those kids and their upbringing and their experiences are vastly yeah. different and you have to connect with every one of them very differently. They all yeah. have different needs. And so on the other side of the coin, as far as a child that is on the end of just kind of overflow, all needs or the essential needs are being met, they're doing well. What are some of those, the behaviors, attitudes, and indicators that uh, that's where they kind of exist? Yeah, I definitely, you can see just more secure, secure in themselves, not needing to, you know, act out, um, not needing too much attention, just just more happy. I'm like thinking of one in particular, just even their parents were split, but the, I know the relationship was so 
good because one, you always saw the parents together at functions, but then also two, the kids yeah. just were so happy, yeah. like all the time it seemed. Um, and then they were, you know, happy to help um, other students, happy to help in the classroom, just yeah. happy to be on campus. It, it was definitely yeah. noticeable. Um, what else? I mean, the overflow, it truly overflows when your kids' needs are being met, basic needs are being met. Um, that's an overflow yeah, everywhere. Absolutely. And I've seen this as well. And it's something that I have strived for in my family, especially considering the dynamic, just the freedom to be naive, the freedom to just be silly and to be careless in the mm. way that they're not like threatening, whether to themselves or other people, but careless in that they, the word security is perfect. They are secure in that things are going to be okay. Things are going to be taken care of. It's when there is lack that children are looking outside of themselves and the, obviously the, they can't really recognize their needs, but their wants are mm -hmm. very apparent. The wants for attention, the wants mm -hmm. for this or that to be met. And they may not be legitimate wants, but because needs aren't being met, the wants of a child are kind of amplified. Um, and can you speak yeah. to that at all? Yeah, actually, when just even when you were talking and reflecting on the question before, it was it was hard for me to even think of um, multiple students that might be coming from you know the overflow because those weren't the students that I worked with. I saw as a counselor or as dean. Those were the kids that I actually never saw. I never saw the um, kids that were striving and. Um, kids that were secure because they didn't need a counselor really. They didn't need um, me too much. Um, and I don't remember where I was going with that, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, concerning the, the children that were, that experienced the overflow, they have, you know, those that mm -hmm. lack on one hand, their wants or they have just a ton, but those that are secure, those tend to be the ones that parents whether, as you mentioned, are together or not, there's right. some semblance there and there is, there's a cohesion and therefore they're really just situated. They're just these silly, fun, loving, ridiculous people. And they have the right to be because they don't yeah. have to compensate for anything. Exactly. Yes, for sure. You yeah, said no, it better it's than weird. I did. We're, they're both the same words, <laughs> same words. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's that's interesting that you obvious it's a almost an obvious observation as far as those that you've counseled and you've seen personally they're more likely to be the ones that are lacking here and there how do they end up mm -hmm. in a seat in front of you is it a result of a behavioral issue mm -hmm. or uh, have you been sought by children or ordered the child being ordered by a parent to come see you. How does that come about? Yeah, all of it for sure. Behavior, teachers, referrals, parent referrals, just seeing a kid alone, just seeing a kid um, in need acting out that I always say like the bad kids are my, mm -hmm. we're not supposed to call kids bad, but you know, yeah. the bad kids, those are my favorite kids. The ones that are, that were acting out um, or that just seem like yeah. you know, impossible. Um, you know, Teachers knew right away to send those over to me because I enjoyed working with them. But uh, definitely those 
kids um, come to me and other counselors, I'm sure administrators, teachers, um, offices, just by way of need, whoever sees it, yeah. refers them. And Margot feels the same way as far as the the uh, the bad <laughs> apples or whatever, the ones that are struggling. And again, that's yeah. why it is. And there's a unique way in which she's able to connect with specifically middle school, high school students. Don't don't send elementary uh it's it's funny because we're like we can be on opposite ends in that respect but there there's just like a heart for those kids the need is apparent it's not out of uh selfishness but it's just they you know that this point in their life is so essential that they get the support that they get the attention specifically of adults and someone that's going to make eye contact with them and assure them that things are going to be okay and then give them t- the tools necessary to kind of help them make things okay to the best of their ability, I guess. Sure. And I was going to ask next pair, uh, the parental questions. So obviously the yeah. kids aren't in this on their own. They're not just deciding who they want to be, how they want to function. Uh, you, we can assume that <laughs> it's funny because we as parents are just so naive. Sometimes we think like these kids just mm-hmm. want to be this thing, this person. And yes, it is in part their personality kind of coming out and then being a reflection of their, their internal design. But much of it is based on the influence of the people that are taking care of them. Um, so in your many encounters with uh, parents, have you been able to discern whether a parent is invested in their child or children and doing their best to create the most fruitful home versus one, a parent that may be missing the mark? Have you, did you gain this like keen ability to be like this parent after a five minute conversation? I, not that you know the whole picture, the whole story, but you have a good sense of where things are. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even need to meet the parents. You just have to meet the kids to have a good understanding of where the parents are. You can see that in the first five minutes, but overall, absolutely. You know, it's very telling when a parent is involved in their kid's life and and wants their well-being. I do have a heart um, for all parents. So even the ones that are struggling, um, to support their kids and be there for them. I just, I just don't think that any parent goes into it. I'm not sure of that, but I was going to say, I don't think that any parent goes into it wanting to ruin their kids. Um, I really don't. Um, but I, I think the most, no, a hundred percent, the most difficult part of my job Mm -hmm. is the parents. Um, like I said, even with, you know, wanting being a married and family therapist, I, I stopped doing that because the couples were difficult, but um, I didn't know how difficult parents would be um, in this situation. And when we're talking about, you know, blending families and, you know, co-parenting, <clears throat> that is truly very difficult um, for parents. And I think it's because so much gets in the way and it blinds them to, the goal of wanting their kid to be successful academically, socially, emotionally, um, you know, in every realm. Um, I think that I have a a lens of seeing it from a side where there's custody battles, where there's um, a lot of legal issues, where there's um, parents just not being involved, um, 
parents being too over-involved. And so uh, all of that affects and impacts the kids greatly. Um, And I think until parents can really figure out a co-parenting relationship, their kids can't be as successful as they could be. Yeah. And again, you mentioned the child before where there was a separation, a divorce, yet parents showed up together. And maybe this isn't the Mm -hmm. ideal scenario for some folks. For instance, with us, we are likely outside of a ceremony of some kind, a form of celebration. We're likely not going to come together at a parent teacher conference with Mar you know, our oldest, her dad, or my brother and Samaya. We're just we don't function on the same page enough to yeah. do that. However, there is still the option to co parent with with some chemistry, with some cohesion, with some order. Like we have some of yeah. the more important expectations for the child in place and we practice. So as far as when it comes to co-parenting and whatnot, what do you think it is about the parents that keeps them from understanding the level of strain that can potentially be placed on a child through their kind of exchange and however they decide to co-parent? Yeah, definitely just um, all, there are just so many components to parenting and then so many more to co-parenting. People don't even realize, um, I don't, you know, even fully realize. I actually like, am I allowed to ask you questions? Like you are actually living this and Margo talked to me about how you guys are um, co-parenting with, you know, both, uh, you know, your daughter and your niece as well and how um, challenging that can be, but also you just said it like a bit ago, like there, you guys, at least with those co-parenting relationships, you guys have had some like specific, I'm not sure if it's structures or specific like things put in place that, you know, are yeah. non-negotiable or I mean, am I allowed to ask you questions? Like what, what yeah. is co-parenting in the classroom or in the setting look like for you guys? Cause I, it's, yeah, I think right. more so than anything, putting the best interest of the child at the forefront. And I think that because there is conflict in those relationships and there's a lot of jockeying, there's a lot of jockeying, there's a lot of pride and ego. There is a, a mild or major desire to get some type of vengeance some of the parents be bringing around new girlfriends or boyfriends to drop off or pick up just like <laughs> shenanigans. And in those moments and instances, it is about the adult. It's selfish. It's straight up just rooted in selfishness. It's uh, when we, when parents experience a separation, divorce or whatever, there is a loss at hand and there is great hurt at hand. But there is also a child that is in some of the more essential stages of development of their life. And what they need is security. They need stability and they need the parents to be able to just to to grow up. They need parents to grow up and growing up consists of both showing up for the kid in the way that they need, as well as getting the help that you need on the back end. 
if you are just showing up and not getting the help you need, then you as well as a child are going to lack. So putting that at the forefront and it's almost like it's a form of protection. Kids need that protection from the reality of the adult drama. So that's what I, it's just, it's just putting that stuff at the forefront, making an effort to do that. And if that's not both parties, both ends, then one party needs to do that, needs to put their feet in the sand and take all the hits and just say, we're not, we're not moving, nor are we going to react to whatever it is that the other side is throwing at us. Accusations, lies, immaturity, we're going to be all the more stable because of the lack of stability on the other end. Yeah. That's incredibly it's difficult not easy. to do. I, for me, I just want to say to parents, like, parent, just get it together. Like, talk, communicate. But that's not the reality at all. Like, there's so many different um, pieces to it. Like you said, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. There, there's so much, you know, in it. You said what's important is stability, security. For me, I, I would love to tell parents, like, just yeah. be consistent in, you know, finding what are your core values for your child and then being consistent in applying them um, across yeah. both houses. I think that was one thing that popped up a lot for <clears throat> kids in, um, in two households was that, you know, you know, a mom, um, you know, um, the primary mother, not the stepmother, the primary mother's house and, and stepdad's house, they have these set of rules. And then at the dad's house and stepmom's house, there's these other set of rules. And, you know, the kid gets back from a weekend away with dad and, and they're a mess for the first three days because they are so off, um, in, in just their structure. They're off in every way. One house, they're allowed to stay up till forever and eat all these kind of things. And, be, um, and have d- all these different kind of friends. And then another house, it's completely, sh- you know, strict and shut down. So kids don't know how to function or they actually can learn how to function in those, um, in those two households. Um, but it just makes a, a big mess. Like they don't really know their role or, um, yeah. or who they are because it's just so different. And I think that if, I just know it's just so much easier said than that. I feel very naive, like recommending these things, but if you could just figure out those core things, like just like going back down to the, you know, the, the needs, like when are we um, having a bad time? Yeah. What are we, who are, you know, who are our friends and, and who are we around? Like those kind of things, if we can set consistency across both households, but if you don't have that, relationship with the co-parent um then going back to i I don't know if you said it now but margo just mentioned it like you guys don't speak badly about the other parent like that's another piece too like just respect even if the the parent is a complete douchebag or just a waste of life because there's that too like you just still respect them and honor them as that child's parent um, and always do that in front of the kid. And that's really hard for, like you said, it's, it's more of like an, you know, on the adults um, for sure, but that's hard to do. It crushes kids when they hear, you know, about their parents being um, talked badly about it's just crushing. It does. Um, Yeah. I think it's just very messy. It's hard. It can be. And specifically in regards to the, speaking well or just not speaking bad about the other parent. There are some realities that you have to expose when a child yeah. is under some form of threat or compromised. And even that can be packaged yeah. in uh, an empathetic way. 
It doesn't have to be this total Mm -hmm. bash session or whatever, but just relaying the reality that, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what's happening. And this is how it hurts you. And this is kind of our, where we're sorry that it's happening. And our hope is for that person, those people to get it, to get well. Uh, So, because they're good for you, you're good for them as far as your development and whatnot, but it is a, it is a difficult thing. It can be to navigate for sure. But as a, as a counselor, when you do come to a point where you're limited in what you can provide, you understand that there are things like the difference is what's happening in the home, like at this point. And mm-hmm. what is it, mm-hmm. what is it like for you coming to that place where you feel as if there's not much you can do outside of kind of listening? Mm-hmm. Well, that's so hard. It goes back to meeting basic needs um, because sometimes um basic needs just, you know, the kids fed and they're well-dressed or whatever, but you know, maybe they're emotional needs and they just need someone, you know, to listen to them or cry with, or just be alone with. Um, I just hate the conversations I have to have with kids where I say, I'm sorry, I can't change anything about your household. I can't change anything about your life experiences. I wish that I could. Um, but all I can do is just continue to be here for you and show up and just be an accessible place for you. Um, I just think that those kids, um, that are caught in the middle between, you know, two households that are not on the same page, they just suffer so much more greatly than anyone could ever understand. Um, they carry it so heavy on a, on a totally different level. And so just being a safe place for them. Um, but man, do I wish that parents could see and feel how greatly they impact, um, their kids with just even the dumb things that they might be fighting with the other parent about, or even the major things, but just the lack of cohesion is just so detrimental for these kids. Yeah. And we've uh, come to a place in society where it's getting, difficult for people generally speaking to determine where the lines are as far as something uh, such as discipline you know there are there's mm-hmm. an attempt or efforts being made it seems on a governmental level to kind of impede some of the authority of parents but there's also a relinquishing oh, okay. of authority uh, by parents and not really knowing mm-hmm. like yo, should little Timmy be just on timeout? Is that even legal? Can I put Timmy? <laughs> or like, you know, we grew up in an era of, hey, if you, you guys, wait, what? You spoke out of time. I got something for you. You're getting a chocolate. You're getting a belt. In, in the nearest, <laughs> hey, I got a Bible on the table. It's the nearest mm-hmm. thing to them, and they're, they're gonna chuck the word at you. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It's getting it's getting vague right now. So, what is the mm-hmm. what is or was the line of abuse 
from your perspective and experience? Where do you guys as counselors and professional professionals draw the line and identify abuse for what it is? Ooh, geez, that's a loaded question. Dis- discipline too. That's one thing I didn't say for for parents to be consistent on. If we yeah. can get consistent on how we handle disciplinary issues, that'd be huge. But not even the world can, like right now the world's a mess on that. Um, but I have had to guide parents on how to discipline um, their kids. And one, of course, not every kid is the same. <clears throat> So one kid might just respond really well to timeouts and other conversations, another some hard work and another um, <laughs> um, you know, more physical uh, discipline. And um, like honestly, just straight up, if you're asking as a counselor, I'm a mandated reporter. I, I have to report any kids that are being um, maybe hit or uh, have any like markings on them. So if you're hitting your kids with any objects, that's absolutely not allowed. It has to be with your hand and has to be an open fist. Um, there can't be any marks left. Like, I don't know if we're trying to get like that practical, but if, if, if there, if I see anything like that, if I hear anything like that, I have to report it. If you're fighting in front of your kids even, and it's getting really bad and they're afraid, I have to report that too. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, everything we, we have every year it's mandated that we have trainings on child abuse um, and they range from neglect, even educational neglect um, to, you know, of course, physical, sexual um, and so on. So there's so many different forms of abuse. Um, but as far as discipline and, and punishment, when you ask from counselor, those are the indicators on when we have to report things as well. But um I don't even know if you wanted to go that deep. <laughs> I don't know if you were just thinking like standards. Yeah, no, or I mean, obviously <laughs> you've seen a lot and it really, it's just getting confusing for, for parents. I don't, I don't believe in this yeah. home. We are confused about the way in which we should raise our kids in the order that we should do it. We're, and we are often in prayer about how to do it and how to do it tactfully. Yeah. We, we are concerned with, the timing and the methods that we use and sometimes certain methods, whether a talking to, and then whether the, um, the physical discipline, which I believe is still necessary, but I've learned Mm -hmm. personally and in a real way, how ineffective that is as well with, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. one of my children Mm -hmm. and how, talking to them. And then (laughs) it's weird. And a lot of people may hop off of this podcast and following, you know, me and my instruction. But I also realize that sometimes getting, taking the, the drama, just taking the drama and taking a little bit of a beating from our children verbally is, is okay to give room Mm -hmm. for just foolishness. I'm going to let you be foolish up in here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you some room to do, because if you have <laughs> zero room, this is like you just have no opportunity to do that in this space, you're going to absolutely do it in the space that kind of allows it and makes room for it. And in the school, there's room for it because you guys can't just snatch yeah. people up. You, but that's just not what you can yeah. or should do and nor should we 
absolutely do that, that in this space. And I, it just takes me, it reminds me of our relationship with God and we have room to exercise frustration with him and say, Hey, like, I don't trust your plan. I'm hurting. I can't believe that you allowed this to happen. If we didn't have room to exercise that same, whether contentment, frustration, confusion with him, then our relationship, our ability to achieve relationship would be limited. So that's something that I would just, a side note to suggest. No, absolutely. That was so good. That's, I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a new mother and, but I've been an educator for however many years. And, um, that's one major thing. Like every kid that walks into the, into my door, like I, I don't know anything about them, but I have like automatically, I would hope that every educator feels this way, but you have to have this like respect Mm -hmm. for a kid and honor for, for them. And, um, I can't be hitting kids the way that sometimes I feel that I might or want to or whatever. You just can't. Um, so, for the majority of behaviors um, that a kid might be displaying, I have to become really curious about what are they doing when they're screaming, when they're hitting kids, when they're doing everything else. Like what, what do you really need right now Um, when they're acting out emotionally or whatever else? And I I had transferred this to my son. Like it was like last week for 40 minutes, he screamed. He's like, he's not even two. He screamed for 40 minutes. I'm surprised I didn't even call you guys to tell you like, cause I did that the last time, the first time that he did it. I was like, how do you do this? Um, but I just looked at him with so much curiosity of just like, what do you need for 40 minutes? What are you needing? Are your, you know, basic needs met? Are, are, um, are you needing some space? Are you, like you said, just, uh, do you need to just yell at me right now? Like, what is it? Like, kids don't know what they need either all the time. And so they're just, you know, um, uh, displaying their emotions and it's kind of us up to us as parents to figure that out and to, um, put that energy towards something absolutely positive towards. Yeah. 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 I thought the correlation. And as far as you mentioned that you are leading other counselors as well, right. Uh, what is kind of a frequent, issue that you're whether running into right now is it some of the same stuff that you experienced personally um when you were functioning uh intimately with the the kids and serving them or is there something new or new thing on a high level right now um suicide and identity are the greatest challenges suicide assessments happening more than we could even, we can't even function um, just alone. Uh, we need to call in other counselors, other psychologists to be able to maintain the need um, of these kids. This is elementary wow. through, through high school. So you're thinking like, you know, for the most part, five-year-olds up to 18, 19-year-olds. Um, and so suicide is so heavy. It's, it's uh, a lot. And then, of course, the identity piece. Right now, it feels like everyone is questioning their identity and who they are. Um, we've had more coming, especially coming out of the pandemic, more LGBTQ plus questioners than I've ever seen. Um, I just think this is all contributed to, you know, a lot of parents being um, needing to work during the pandemic and their kids having to be home. And the only thing they have at home to entertain them was the internet and each other. And so, 
Um, just social media has just done a number. I mean, there's good to it, but there's a lot of bad. It definitely shouldn't be anyone's parent. If we can also please parents, um, agree on social media usage and, and, uh, phone usage, let's do that. That would be imperative. And please look at all of your kids' phones. Even the kids that you say, no, they would never, they would trust me. They would (laughs) because it's presented all the time. So those, those things are are just major right now. All of it is a reflection of, and this is a societal issue as far as the presence of parents and the need for, we've just gotten to a point where both parties are working. And that means there is less face time. Think of just all of history and what has been up to this point. And I think it's really important to note that this whole technology, phone stuff, internet, is st- we are mm-hmm. still in a social experiment. Like this is not, <laughs> this is mm-hmm. recent history. Mm-hmm. Like there are many of mm-hmm. older folks that just did not have a childhood with anything uh, that resembled what our children are being raised with in the presence of. So I think that it's, it's really important for us to regard that and to be mindful of that so that we can go back to what was transpiring before this. I don't, I don't, I don't even think the term spike justifies the, suicidality, the issues with identity, all that, like, not only is it a combination of the absence of parents, and even if they're present, they can still be absent and on their phone. You know, I've, I've, I've made that mistake. And, um, and then it's the access to this, this world that is not very real, you know, that's fabricated in many ways. Yep. I was just looking up to this, that suicide is now the second leading cause of death for children, wow. 10 to 14. Um, that's a major shift. And then if they are LGBTQ questioning all of that, I mean, I think you just double that. They are just the, the absolute highest risk for suicide right now. So kids not knowing who they are and then kids just not knowing yeah. their worth and purpose. It's incredible. It's incredible. And parents are, you know, our job is to, to give our kids to God and to assure them in, mm-hmm. in that identity first and foremost as individuals that were created in his image and likeness. And then our job is to be so invested that they are secure in who we are as their parents and they get to see themselves through us. And when those things are lacking or just mm-hmm. absent, they, our kids are, they're at the, the highest uh, degree of threat in life, you know, it's it's a scary thing. For sure. Yeah. I don't, I can't tell you how many suicide assessments we've done just because kids are not feeling loved by their parents. Like that was like the root of it. Like that's, that's a terrible place to get to. So, you know, you kind of answered this question via what we were just talking about, but after so many years of being in the field as far as the family unit what would you say is it moving in a direction of health are they getting stronger are we just is the struggle being multiplied right now oh it's just i feel like it's just multiplied i i feel like 
Um, the disassembling of a lot of things is happening. Like in the, I, I just, just hearing you talk about God, I get out of my professional hat for a second because that's something I so can't do at work. Um, but for sure I can, but the disassembling of families right now that's happening on a spiritual level and on a nationwide level, just, you know, you can just divorce because you're unhappy. You can divorce for what, like, yeah. you know, there's no reason to, to remain together or to get through challenging times. And that's just so difficult when you have kids involved. And so I feel like there's a dismantling of families of men, um, and women even, and, um, children not knowing who they are. It's just, uh, just not a, a light place to be. It feels like it's just getting darker and darker and, um, families are definitely a target of that. Kids are, a, kids are a major target. They're the yeah. number one target yeah. right now. That is, uh, that's a, it's a scary place to be right now. Uh, it really is. And not scary in that, you know, we have to have fear, but it's just, it's heartbreaking really. It's it's heartbreaking. It's disgusting. It's it disgusting is. for sure. Makes me very angry. We had a previous conversation, and we'll end on this note. But you mentioned the presence of a father or fathers, and I think you were specifically referencing mm-hmm. some type of meeting or conference, whether it was a board meeting or just the the difference of mm-hmm. what it meant to have a a male figure present and. There is obviously value in mothers being present and intimately invested, but that is that is kind of the uh, the expectation, the norm, the usual. That's a more popular uh, mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. It's actually really taboo. It's like it's not heard of to have parents. Uh, I'm sorry, dads, a part of their child's education. Um, like I, I just uh, I'm. I told my husband that when we have, you know, parent teacher meetings, he has to be present for all of those because when educators are in the same room of um, the mom, but then the dad too, I just feel like there's just another level or energy that's brought to that meeting. There's a different respect that's brought to it. Um, when a dad is in the room, it just, it's just so um, much different. I'm just thinking of like one, one kid we had to do a, a brainstorm with, um, as their you know education team, and we could not get this kid to pass their classes. I think it was like two years in, and we just, he just did not care. And, and we finally like we're at the end of our ropes. Like, what are we going to do? Does he even belong in our school anymore? And it was the first time they brought me on um, to the mm-hmm. team to brainstorm how to support him. And they had already had literally two years of meetings of how do we get this kid to uh, succeed? And I was just like, well, what about the dad? <laughs> and they're like, oh, the dad works cool. Well, why don't we just invite him to the next meeting though? So he could be a part of this. Does he have any idea of what's happening? And and it was a household where they're, you know, all in the same home, the parents were together and they're like, Oh, that's an idea. Like, let's see how that goes. And the dad was a part of it. And sure enough, there was the quickest turnaround (laughs) of this kid that they've ever seen in two years, just because the dad was there to listen. He didn't have a lot to say because he had no idea what was happening. Um, but just his presence, and we let him know the expectations of what um, we needed for you know his son and um, for what his son needed from them, and um, just you know how you know helping lay down some structures at home and just suggestions around that. It was the quickest turnaround. That kid's doing so well now, just because dad yeah. was present for that meeting, and so 
it just blows my mind that a team of well-educated um, teachers and staff, we just we just don't think about that right away. Like even I don't every time. Like I was really in there with them too for that first hour. Like, hey, how what do we do and what? Yeah. But just bringing the dad in, it just it just changes everything. And so, definitely recommend dads. Please be on the calls, be cc'd in the emails, reach out to the teachers, know your kids' schedule, teachers mm-hmm. and friends. Um, yeah. A difference and while responsibilities may be different yeah. it's still the level of investment and even while working if there is yeah. a moment if there is the opportunity to ask boss hey i just need to be present for a parent teacher conference i need to be present for this thing i need to give half an hour of my day to this and to do so like it really yeah. does it's just it's incredible you know we've most of us have seen videos whether on social media or something like that, when uh, a child is at some type of ceremony, graduation, whatever, they see their parents oh, or yeah. something and just what happens to their demeanor, whether they are <laughs> messing around and they straighten up or they're just kind of like on <laughs> autopilot, but they see them and they come to, to And that's what we as parents have an opportunity to do for our children day in and day out. And while we may not be able to measure perfectly what our influence is and how much of a difference we make, the difference is substantial. And this very much pertains to the fathers as well. Yes. Yeah. That's, it impacts a kid more than definitely more than the education team. We, we are impacted still. I love to see a dad on a meeting, but man, when, when dads are in the meeting and the kids know the parents are involved in that way, it's just night and day. I wish you could just know and see what a difference it is between when it's just one mom running it and the mom and dad. It is huge. Well, Kathy, Mr. Stemco, thank you so much for taking the time (laughs) and giving your professional insight. This is something that I believe that all parents, we should just, we should absolutely put a face and perspective to the experience of the instructors, the counselors, the administers that we are trusting our children with. We, we, you know, it's been school has been treated like a daycare for quite some time, uh, but it is, Mm -hmm. they spend so much time in that space and it is so beneficial to know that there are people such as yourself that care intimately about the well-being of children. And it, that should, if anything, make us as parents want to to care more and be more, all the more invested so that we're working together. Your job's easier. Our job is easier. And these kids are, are the byproduct of that. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Fun times, Blenders. You are welcome. It's fire stuff. All right. Thanks again, Kathy. Have an amazing day. And Blenders, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.